back. Hi. Hello, welcome to Knock Knock High with the Glockenfleckens. I am Dr. Glockenflecken. I am Lady Glockenflecken. And we're excited to have you here today. We're going, we're talking about something a little bit different today than we have in the past. Talking about IT. Mm-hmm. Health IT. Healthcare IT. Healthcare IT. We, uh, a wide-ranging conversation uh, about um, just every where it's going, where it's been. Mm-hmm. Why uh, it's been where it's been and yeah. going where it's going. We basically like throw our guests some like things that we want and like tell him to make it happen. I, yeah, it's a little know. bit like Christmas morning and asking, you know, Santa exactly. Claus for some exactly. things that we want. Uh, and so in what this what it made me think about uh, was actually the time that I spent as a super user for Epic. Mm-hmm. I remember, remember that. that? Mm-hmm, I do. So I was like, a, I did it as a fourth year med student and a little bit as an intern yeah. as well. I like all my vacation time went toward right. going to mostly the health, the, the Henry Ford health system. Mm-hmm. When they shout out to everybody at Henry Ford, <laughs> um, when they went live with Epic, this was like 2013. This was pre Glockenflecken. So there may yeah. have been some people, some listeners out there who interacted with maybe, you and did not maybe. know it. I, I, I got you know paid uh, you know, extra money, obviously, to like go and do this. That's the only reason I did it because it was the worst job ever. <laughs> Real bad. Uh, because what I had to do was they, they, they put me in like some area of the hospital. So at Henry Ford, I was mostly in emergency medicine. And uh, I just, I had to walk around and like help people, like teach people how to use, how to do like discharge summaries and, and admission orders and all just put in anything, all like make smart phrases, all this stuff. So, and, uh, and you can imagine like Henry Ford's a big health center. And so you can imagine people were stressed and, and we were in emergency medicine yeah, and learning how to use Epic. And so, uh, it was a high stress situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do remember at one point during the week, I was working with a cardiologist. And I think it was a cardiologist. Uh, and he was you know, toward the end of his career, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and that, 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 that was, it was the hardest for those individuals because they'd been on paper charts for their entire, for like 30 plus years. Right. And all of a sudden here, the last few years of their career, they had to like switch over to the most complicated thing in the world. Epic, uh, very, very different um, experience. And that's your electronic health record system, yeah. right? Yeah, so when the... you go to the doctor and the doctor's like typing into the computer, they're typing, likely using Epic. Epic or something like Epic. Yeah, there's lots of them out there, but okay. Epic's the one. So that's the one we were on, we were, we were working on. And, um, and so I'm, I'm working with this, with this doctor and he's not saying anything. And I'm like working at, walking him through how to do like a, I think it was a admission orders or something. And, um, and as I'm sitting there, like teaching him, he just, he stands up and he just walks away. Like he didn't say anything to me. And I, I was, I was like, I didn't know what was going on. So I just, I, you know, I, I went on to do other things. He, he actually didn't come back that day. And, uh, and so toward the end of the week, I like, I asked someone about this guy. I was like, Hey, I was helping this guy. I haven't seen him since. Like what, what was going on? And they told me he retired. <laughs> he <laughs> He, he decided you were the last straw. yes he decided that he would rather end his medical career <laughs> than listen to me talk about discharge or admission orders <laughs> for one more second that was it so that gives you a little little flavor about what the uh what the epic super user job was like and so mm-hmm. shout out to all the epic super users you got a hard job uh but thank do you they for still what have you do. those are people still doing that I mean, people are still going live i mean i feel yeah. like i feel like 
everybody's on some kind of health record, electronic record system at this point. Actually, we learned 97%. That's right. Yeah. We did learn that. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, that's still out there. They're still yeah. doing it. I don't know. Maybe international. I don't know if it still happened in the U.S. But Yeah. I remember what I remember from that time is, is you coming home and expressing a lot of frustration about the triple clickers. Oh, the triple clicking. Yes. Yeah. Lots of triple. I mean, that's a, like a, a lot of the job was just sitting there watching someone try to like do something. Right. right. And and a lot of, a lot of you out there, you love to click three times on things <laughs> like consecutively. It's my understanding. And I'm no by no, by no means a computer expert. It's that true. there's never a situation where you need to click three times consecutively on one thing. <laughs> In fact, it usually um, creates more confusion than anything That's right. else. That's right. I was, then uh, weird that's things funny. start to happen. It's funny that you remember that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I do. Was, I think I was having nightmares about triple clicking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's get to our guest today. Let's so, do it. Um, we have uh, for our guest, Dr. Mickey Tripathi, and just a fascinating guy. He's uh, the national coordinator for Health Information Technology at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, where he leads the formulation of the Federal Health IT Strategy. This is like, he's like the health IT guy. Yeah, he's the nation's health IT man. Yeah, he's like, so if you have a question about like health IT... Fax like, him your suggestions. Fax. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the guy. And it really was like, it's just we had a fascinating conversation about uh, all kinds of stuff. I, he answered all of my questions that I've had as a physician working in, in healthcare and medicine and yeah. dealing with all these things. So, and he's um, a fun guy too. It was, yeah, it was a fun conversation. Yeah. He's got a good sense of humor. And... I don't know what preconceived notions you all have about <laughs> IT people. All right. But it was it was a very gregarious, <laughs> wonderful individual. Not that they he's aren't. It's not what you'd expect. He doesn't even like a basement. That's right. That's he, right. He gave us some stories about that. Well, let's get to it. Let's right. do it. Here is uh, Dr. Mickey Tripathi. All right. We are here with uh, Dr. Tripathi, Mickey Tripathi. How are you doing, Mickey? I'm doing great. Yeah. Really thanks forward for to talking to you. Thanks for thanks for joining us today. Now I, I got to start um, with a question: How does someone become the world authority on like electronic health IT? Because it's not exactly something that a kindergartner will say that they want to do when they grow up. <laughs> like I, I just like how did you get to into this field? It's 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 kind of fascinating to me. Yeah, it's, uh, you're right. I didn't, uh, you know, sort of <laughs> pop out, especially, you know, I'm old. So, uh, you know, back then it would have been, you know, amazing vision to say electronic medical records. <laughs> That's where I want to be. Um, so uh, I was working for a consulting firm and we went out to uh, Indianapolis to do some work um, with the Reagan Street Institute out there. I don't know if you know those folks, but they've, you know, in Indianapolis, it turns out is like a beacon of health information technology, unbeknownst to a lot of people. Really? Um, oh. Yeah, there's, there's an, there's an institute out there called the Reagan-Streif Institute, and um, founded by a guy who was an industrialist who went to a hospital, you know, and um, and was shocked by what he saw. Like, he couldn't believe <laughs> that, you know, that they were using better technology in dishwashers than they were using in hospitals. And so he created this Fair institute um, <sighs> that I think both of you will probably attest to that being the case. Um, and uh, so he, he created this institute that worked on health information technology. So anyway, I was working for a consulting yeah. firm. We went out there, we did a bunch of market research and we kind of looked at it and said, wow, this could be, you know, like a really interesting business. This is like in 2002. Yeah, yeah that's what got me started in, in this area. And I, I just like love areas where you mix science, technology, policy right. and business. 
Hmm. Well, you probably saw the the landscape of health IT and realized, whoa, there's some work to be done here. Yeah, yes. it, it looked <laughs> like it was going to be lifetime employment <laughs> employment for the rest yes. of my for the remaining part of my life. Yeah, and, I mean, because you you've been at, I mean, just the the change that you've seen over the last twenty plus years uh, of uh, you know going from paper records uh, exclusively, pretty much, right, um, yep. to just this this really rapid adoption of of electronic health records and uh, different healthcare you know record systems and and so how how do you feel about the speed at which this has happened is it going fast enough is it is it too fast is it you know how are we doing just in general yeah you know my um my my clinician friends will kill me for saying this um but <laughs> i think it's going at the right pace, <laughs> oh, okay, um, good, which good. is to say that, you know, if you, if you, um, and I know, I mean, you, you were on the front lines of, you know, living this, mm-hmm. right, of this change. So um, actually, I should ask the question back at you, but, you know, just to give you the, just the, for the context, yeah. we, um, you know, like in 2010 or 2005, whenever it was, something like 5% of providers were using electronic health records. And that was self-reported. So that was also, you know, my brother-in-law's access database, Microsoft yeah. Word with macros, that's all electronic health records, right? And then we right. invested a ton of money through, you know, federal incentives and the private sector to the point that we're now at the point where 97% of hospitals and like 85% of ambulatory providers are using electronic wow. health records. So that's like a short, probably 10 years, you know, and if you yeah. think about um, the, the, you know, this is the, like the most complex part of the biggest economy in the world, flipping that from like pretty much mm-hmm. 0% adoption or 5% adoption to 97% adoption in 10 years that's a pretty remarkable achievement i think that really is and so what so was it the the subsidies you're talking about was that what really started driving it like what was the impetus to like really turn the lever and you know just really get it ramped up do you yeah, think what it were was the factors um, there so I, the the problem we had you know, before the federal government. So the federal government dollars were huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, was, it turned out to be about $35 billion in incentives um, through Medicare and Medicaid. Um, you hopefully got one of those checks, and, yeah. you know, like make sure mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, they, that, you know, that all, all of the really advanced physicians got them. But, uh, but you know, before then, the challenge was um, that, you know, that there was like slow adoption of electronic health records. But, you right. know, healthcare, uh, you know, I, as you know, healthcare is really complicated in our country, right? right? And so the challenge from a technology perspective was that um, it was kind of a prisoner's dilemma. Like, you hmm. know, doctors felt like, well, I don't want to, why should I invest in this technology? It's like $40,000 a user or whatever, but I get no benefit, right? You have no pricing power as a doctor. It's not like you can say, oh, I'm going to pass this on to my customers. Well, you can't charge anymore, you know, and right. um, and the health insurer isn't going to pay you anymore. And the health insurers on the other side felt like, well, I don't want to provide, you know, the, the subsidy for the electronic health record because I can't prevent that doctor from using it on patients who aren't my members, right? So they felt like, mm-hmm. well, you know, I'm going to pay for the whole EHR, but I'm only 10% or 15% of that patient, of that doctor's panel. And so, you know, therefore I can't capture all the benefits. So we're like at this real stalemate that everyone felt like, well, it's good for society, but not in my yeah. interest to do it. Um, mm-hmm. So then the federal government came along um, in, in 2010, high tech, and said, well, there's a public goods problem here. And mm-hmm. also Medicare and Medicaid have a really distinct 
you know, kind of incentive to say, well, wait a minute, our providers are all across the country and it would be great for them to adopt electronic medical records because we believe that's good for Medicare and Medicaid and good for patients at large. So how about if we provide the incentives and kind of share the cost? And, you know, in a way, it's not that different than businesses do every day. If you think about, you know, right. Ford and Toyota and Walmart, they invest in their supply chains. I know you, I know you don't like to think of yourself as a part of the supply chain, but, <laughs> well, but sorry, you know, I, no, sorry I to it. break it to you. For no, Medicare and Medicaid, you're just supply chain. <laughs> I'm, I, I get it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, it's, I remember, so I, when I came into medicine, so I started med school in uh, 2008. And, and so this was very, and we had, it was like a, the hospital I was in, which is Dartmouth Hitchcock Medical Center. Um, we had this uh, kind of hybrid system. It was, it was like the, we had uh, the, some, some of it was on this, I don't even remember what it was called. Yeah. They had like a homegrown. Early... I forget what that was yeah, called. Yeah. 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 CIS some, something. I don't know. Anyway, I'm not, I don't know what it is. Someone but, out there is yelling at yeah, their, exactly, right? their They're like, oh, right it, was, it was this. Um, but then, but then we, we still never did... should have left. <laughs> I missed that system. But then we still, we still did, uh, orders like on paper. So it was this weird, you know, hybrid thing. And then I was there when we made the, the switch over to, to Epic. And that was, that was a huge deal. And would you call it epic? It was, it was, fact? it was an epic, uh, for some people would call it an epic fail Uh-oh. that, that we, you know, but that was, you know, it, we, we understood, I think that the reason why we needed it, you know, for all the reasons just to make things more efficient. And, uh, I mean, in some ways more efficient, but just the documentation, uh, more thorough, and you could actually read the handwriting. You, you, I mean, mm-hmm. you could read the text. You right. didn't have to try to read doctor handwriting. Um, but it was a huge challenge for a lot of the physicians, and it was there was a lot of stress around the go live and and switching over to that kind of system. Um, and so, uh, you know, I feel like we're at the point now, though, where everybody accepts that that's the best way to do things. But we also now have all these different systems that still don't seem to talk to each other and in a lot of ways. And that, that, that seems like a big struggle right now, as opposed to like actually getting people on board with electronic health records. Am I wrong in like seeing like that's, that's still like a big problem that we have in this whole system? No, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, a part of that is just kind of the, you know, the nature of adoption. Like we got to get mm-hmm. everyone from paper to electronic first, and then start to think about what are the things that, you know, we want to build on top of that, In, you know, interoperability being one of them. We want the systems to be able to talk right. to each other, and we want to be able to do things that are more than just, like, better billing and getting rid of file cabinets, right? I mean, we, you know, we, we, we uh, expect more out of the $35 billion investment <laughs> that, that we've made, but I think it's appropriate, yeah. actually, to phase it. We, um, in a prior organization that I um, worked for, um, we implemented electronic health records among, you know, community uh-huh. docs. And, you know, and often ONC and the whole program gets criticized for not doing interoperability from the beginning. I guess, you know, I would argue that that was actually really appropriate to phase it. Because I remember, I still remember one of the one of the physicians who we brought live first. So this is back in 2005, right? Really early. Mm-hmm. And we brought, you know, him live, his practice live. It, it was a him. Brought him live on his, on, his, on his EHR. And we had a lab interface set up with the hospital. 
And we turned it on, and I wanted to be there for the ta-da moment to see the joy that would spread across his face, right? And the, <laughs> la- and the laugh started coming in, and it wasn't joy. It was terror. <laughs> it was like, stop it. Stop. Turn this oh, off no. now. What is this? And, you know, and I was like, no, no, no. Those are, those are the labs that you can, it's like, I don't want them. I'm not responsible. You know, how can I be responsible for all those? Where are those coming from? It's like, no, no, no. Those are the same labs that you ordered. They're just not coming in via fax. They're coming in electronically. Right. But he was just like, turn it off now. I <laughs> yeah. it was like, I'm having enough problems just dealing with the EHR that I document. Now you're bringing in all this other information. So I think part of it is just that cultural thing. You first got to get people settled. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Second is one early learning we had in implementing EHRs with all these docs is if you screw up, they're getting paid then yeah. everything else yeah. stops, right? And everyone's always criticizing, oh, you know, you just focused on revenue cycle. It's like, well, people need to get paid. Like the minute that the revenue right. cycle broke and all of a sudden cash flow stopped coming for two, three, four days, the practice is like, all right, we're done here. You know, thank right. you so much for coming. Take all your computers and, <laughs> and you know, we'll see you next decade. But, you know, we need to get paid. So that was the other thing is you got to focus gotcha. on landing safe is kind of how I think of it. It's like, let's land everyone okay. safe first and then we can move to the next thing. The, the last thing on interoperability, I think, is that, um, is that, you know, standards change a lot. Like if we had, you know, because we were in the, through this federal program, you were starting to implement EHRs like in 2012, like 2011, 2012. And think about what technology was, you know, was like back then. And, uh, you know, we would basically have been like baking in AOL, you know, for all these systems. And now we have much better ways of interoperating. You know, you think about the apps on your phone and all of that. That's like RESTful APIs and all this technical mumbo jumbo, uh-huh. but a lot better standards now that are much more lightweight. And that's what we're trying to push the industry toward is those lightweight standards. So it, it made sense to wait because you know that things are going to change. And if we don't have to make those decisions that early, let's not make those decisions until later and let you know all the other parts of the technology develop. Are we still in the early stages of the achieving the oh, yeah, interoperability, gonna... or are we like yeah. like where on the spectrum are we here? Are we any, anywhere close? What to... phase are we in? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say you know we are we're we're not infants. I think we're toddlers. Um, okay. And you know the reason I say that is is we throw temper tantrums and we're breaking and, a lot of we break a lot of rules appropriately. But there is interoperability that's happening. So. There are networks now that that exist um, that connect up EHR systems, and um, there's one called CareQuality that exchanges like you know they do 50 million transactions a day, um, okay. connecting like, up you know provider yep. organizations on the back end, and just to give you a sense, you know the Swift Global Banking Network does 41 million a day. So, you know, so that's a lot of interoperability that's, that's happening. Um, mm-hmm. The problems with it are the data is still highly variable in terms of quality. So you may get, you know, like if it's not, if it's coming from a different EHR system, for example, you may mm-hmm. get it and it's still like, ugh, you know, that it didn't come together seamlessly. I'm having to mm-hmm. go into this other tab and find it in the basement of the EHR and, you know, and, and it's hard for me to read. And, you know, I really just wanted to know if the patient was allergic to penicillin or something. And I now I have to read through an 80-page electronic document to figure that out. <laughs> ugh, it's a lot right. easier to just pick up the phone and, you know, right. and call. So I think we have those challenges that now we are better and better at delivering the information back and forth. You know, more work to do for sure, but uh-huh. better and better at that. But the next level is, well, how do we make sure that the data is actually useful? 
you know, and then it's giving right. you the right information at the right time so that you can actually, you know, make better use of, of that information um, and get through your day in more efficient ways than you're able to today. That's that's sort of the next set of challenges mm-hmm. that we want to. And are we, are we looking at like standardization as a part of that to, you know, make the data systems from each place be able to be more, um, you know, easily compared with each other and, and merge together or. Is yeah. maybe AI something that can help with not having to do that as much, or what does that what does that look like exactly? God, we're only a few minutes in, and AI came yeah. up already. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> absolutely! <laughs> I knew we were going to get there. Um, standards are certainly a part of it because uh, you know yeah. because it, that is a challenge, and computers are you know really dumb in certain ways, right? Well, right. Uh, before AI, computers were really really dumb, right? So they they you know if like if if that lab came in and here you know in your in your lab it's you know sort of a blood panel in that hospital and this, mm-hmm. it's a CBC or something, the computer's like, oh, those are two different things. I have no idea what that is. And so if you want to, if the data isn't standardized, it makes it really hard for, you know, for you to be able to get it integrated in the right way and do all the great higher level things you want to be able to do with it. Um, right. You know, the hope is that with AI, you have the ability to say, we can actually learn and see that those four or five different things or or the things, the, those different lab results that the computer thought were four or five different lab results are actually the same, you know, the same oh, yeah. lab that was being done. It just happened to be done right. by different labs. So a better ability to make sense of that information, to turn data into information, I think, is what we want to be able to do. Yeah. That, that would make a lot of sense, especially with how many different electronic health record systems there are out right. there, you know, that that display things in different ways. and. Yeah, and it's even deeper, you know, I would argue, and you can tell me, you know, you're being a clinician, I'm just a fake doctor, I'm one of those PhD (laughs) doctors, Um, but you're like a real doctor, Um, is that, you know, that that I think it goes even, you know, it's deeper than the EHR, it's that providers, doctors themselves Mm. document differently, and they want to document differently. Right. You know, so I often hear, you know, how come you didn't require that the EHR vendor do this or this? And I was like, well, the minute I did that is the minute that you would tell us that we were, you know, uh, a socializing medicine because we were forcing you into that template that came from Cerner or eClinical Works. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and is that what you want? And I've, you know, I've helped doctors implement EHRs. And the first thing they do is they tell the software vendor, you need to adjust the software to my way of documenting yeah, because yeah. I document better than all those other guys <laughs> and gals. <laughs> Actually, um, you know, you, you got it pretty nailed. The, yeah, the, yeah, especially the, in your the, case. I know that the you document mindset. better than... <laughs> Uh, or or my my scribe documents better. Yeah, than, let's be honest. Than, uh, <laughs> not documenting anything. <laughs> you know, it's funny. The, the as you've been talking, I, I keep I keep thinking back to um to to CPRS, the the VA health system. Yep. Which has which has been around since I don't know the eighties, right? It's a long time, and and I just it's been a while since I've worked in a VA system, but um that seemed to have the interoperability down pretty, pretty remarkably at the, uh, for how old it is. And uh, uh, just being able to pull up all the records on your patient, regardless of which VA they've been to in the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you feel like we've learned lessons from that? Was that like a, a stepping off point for any of this? Or is that just a completely separate thing that um, doesn't really inform our you know, thought process on this at all. I, I think it does. I think, I mean, you, you said um, you had a key phrase in there, which was you could bring all the information from the various VAs. 
So yeah. it's like, you know, they were all using the same software. It was just, you know, sort of different instances of the software, different databases mm -hmm. under the same, you know, kind of basic technology. And so that made it easier for them to be able to bring it together because it was, you know, basically the same technology. But I think that there were a ton of lessons um, yeah. that, you know, that were learned and continue to be learned from the VA um, because, you know, it kind of showed what the promise was. It showed that if you could actually get these systems connect with each other, here's kind of a vision of the future of, you know, what that can do for, um, you know, more holistic view of the patient and for better quality. I mean, uh, you know, my yeah. mom, it's funny, my mom was a physician with the VA for like 35 years and my dad was in private practice. And, you know, for a long time, there was the kind of you know, private practice is, you know, higher quality and that's where, you know, the highest quality. And then the VA started being able to show data that demonstrated that, uh -huh. hey, we got this technology and we actually deliver pretty darn good quality, it turns out. And, you know, yeah. my mom was like, Wow! <laughs> Look at the VA. <laughs> right? <laughs> Who knew the VA actually delivers high quality? Um, so I think that there are a ton of lessons there, and there continue to be tons of lessons. I mean, they're going through growing pains right now as they move to a commercial vendor. But I think one of the challenges that they found right. with, the, with the Vista system is, you know, when it's customized, it's really hard to keep up with that. And once you you need yeah. to keep growing and building, and if that's all custom development, it ends up you know um, having a lot of overhead and a lot of weight on top. So just for Kristen's, uh, um, you know, information, the this Vista he's talking about, the, which is the, the documentation system at the VA. Yeah. Basically, it felt like a glorified uh, Word document. Mm -hmm. It's basically kind of like what it what it seemed like, and but you could customize your own documentation pretty well. I honestly, when we moved over to Epic for the first time, I was like happy to go back over to the VA and be able to like <laughs> it. Just it seemed so simple at the time, but but you know, there's other issues with with that as right. well. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, right. it's you know, it yeah. it just you go to something like the 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 systems we have now, and there there's you can see how it would be very overwhelming to someone to like just dropping them into this um, when they've, you know, been on uh, just your paper records and writing. I mean, we still, in our practice, we have some paper charts still that we have, like, they're old now, but we, so we keep a few. Yes. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't document them. We <laughs> keep them around. <laughs> we, I'm, I'm sorry. We, they're records. We, they're records. Record so, We're going to so be we sending just, the police out to, to, to confiscate those. <laughs> don't tell any. I'm going to, we're going to delete this episode. Yeah, we got to edit all this out. <laughs> um, but man, I'm just, so very occasionally, like if someone's had LASIK or some, eye surgery from like 20 years ago. You know, sometimes I'll go back and I'll look at that paper record. The documentation, my God, it was, uh, it was, it's, it's hard to figure out what was going on. Uh, and it's like, it only made sense to the doctor themselves. And so, and my point about saying this is, is that it, I think I see one of the huge benefits of everything we've been talking about, the interoperability and the way we're documenting now with our electronic health records is that in the end, I think this is such a great thing uh, for the patients. And I think from the patient perspective, it probably feels chaotic. You know, there's, there's all, yes, you know, it does. right. It does. But uh, in the end, I feel like it's, it's, we're moving in the right direction toward just being able to educate our patients a little bit better, having them have access to some of their records just more more easily. And, and I don't know. So could you speak on that a little bit on how you see where we're going, really improving patient care and yeah, our like, you know what relationship I would like with to patients? See is I would like to see, and I don't know, sorry to mention AI again, but I feel like it might be helpful for this. <laughs> um, 
you know, he and I both have somewhat complex medical histories, right? So I would like to see the ability, like technology, be able to come in and, and you know, do pattern recognition, which is what it does so well, right? And be able to say, you know, this patient over their lifetime has had this, 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 and this, and, you know, just really quickly and easily be able to tell, oh, they have this, you know, complex condition or, or whatever that a lot of, um, you know, human beings would miss. So, you know, that would be delightful from a, a user perspective. Can I just like, do you have a suggestion box that I can drop that into or? <laughs> you just did. <laughs> okay, good. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, th I think we're getting there. I think we're really getting there and we're really, you know, sort of at the cusp of that kind of capability. And what the reason I say that is, um, you know, you need at least two things for that. One is, is you need the interoperability. Because, you know, Dartmouth-Hitchcock, let's say, only knows so much about me. And right. in order to be able to, you know, really in a complete way, do what you're describing, you know, you want to be able to have, well, I need as much information as possible before I right. can, you know, sort of turn the algorithm loose and then be able to, you know, get the most accurate type of you know, view of you as an entire person. Um, so first off, you need interoperability, and that has to be higher quality data. So as we were describing before, you know, if it's interoperability with dirty data, well, great. Now I'm applying my algorithms garbage to raw in, sewage, and what yeah. am I going to get? Am I going to get potable water <laughs> right. out, of, out of my algorithms right. on raw sewage? I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so that's the first thing. And then the second is, is the algorithms themselves. You know, how do we... Hmm bring those to bear in a way that um, that they're easy to use, that they're understandable, and that they're safe. I mean, uh, you know, the, yeah. um, uh, the you know, I'd love, you know, both of your views on this. I mean, we're, we're just at the, you know, just at the, at the beginning here of this revolution um, with ChatGPT and everything, making these tools really, really easy to use and almost dangerously easy to use because you can just start right. just using them. And, um, and a couple of the challenges with this, I mean, I've heard from providers who get concerned about algorithms because of the black box nature of them. You know, they kind of feel like, mm -hmm. well, I could take the, whatever results are coming out of this that no one can explain to me where it got those results that said that your risk is high. Or I could use right. my clinical judgment, which I actually know something about. So until you can explain to me what the black box does, I'm going to use my clinical judgment. <laughs> um, but right. hopefully as those get better and better, you know, we'll have greater comfort with them. But we need some guardrails around them, I think, just so, you know, people feel a greater sense of safety as well. Because you can make decisions that, you know, that are dangerous, um, uh, you know, in, in certain cases. Right. right. That's why I kind of... Maybe I shouldn't scoff, but I kind of scoff at the this whole idea of you know replacing people in healthcare with with AI. Uh, and, and you know, you get on social media, you see people that are playing around with it and like show how it's just it's not there. It's not even close, really, with being able to replicate the thought process of a healthcare professional taking care of people and right. and but it passed um, the MLE. Isn't that, it, it, isn't but it, yeah, because we all know that that's that's uh, you know the highest quality evidence yes. for for someone being a doctor. Um, right. It also doesn't get at the fact that like it's still people putting right. the data in, you know, and writing the algorithms, and you know, you can't really completely extricate humans from the technology. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. I, well, I think. I mean, I think that's a great point that uh, you know that, and and it's so early. You know, like who knows where you know where this is headed. Um, um, that, you know, that right now it's kind of, well, is it automation, meaning we'll get rid of doctors, it'll all be, you know, computers mm -hmm. doing it, or is it, you know, something that is really a part of, you know, human assisted 
right you know sort of right. care right that you know a that tool in point, a toolbox yeah and and that you know and i could see a point um where you know as a patient i may actually want to know well i'd love to know that you know you as a dermatologist that you actually used some ai in the background to screen through you know 2 million patients before making a judgment on whether that mole actually is cancerous or not but you know i also mm-hmm. would take comfort right. in the fact that you're making the final decision um right. so there may right. be a little bit of a demand kind of thing too where patients you know want to know actually that you're using the tools that you know the people have a sense can actually help you and right. but also that you're in control and that the human mm-hmm. is in you know is sort of in the loop there i think mm-hmm. the other thing getting back to your point about you know wanting to be able to have you know sort of what's the dream here um, is we're doing a lot to make information available to patients so that patients can have the ability to take an app an app of their choice download the records onto their onto their iphone we'll talk about some of the concerns with that in a second but the but the you know but the idea is that you ought to be able to take your records and maybe it's in five different places take those records in five different places maybe Bring in, you know, other information that only you know, like your Fitbit information or whatever sleep app you're using or whatever else and your over-the-counter, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, purchase data and your food data. And you can imagine services developing that say, we can take all of that information and mm-hmm. give you, you know, information about your wellness and, you know, advice and I'm sure nothing will go wrong with any of that, but no. Yeah, no, insurance <laughs> right, companies that's, that's won't abuse that in any way. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's the opportunity for you to be able to do those things that, you know, your healthcare provider isn't going to do because that's not the way we think of healthcare in the U.S. Hmm. You know, healthcare right. is, in the U.S. is when you get sick, then I show up at the doctor, I show up at the hospital, and they use whatever medical information they have, and that's what they do to make you not sick anymore. Versus a view of, well, wait a minute, we're on this continuous journey of different degrees of, you know, kind of wellness. <laughs> All of right. us are temporarily healthy at points of our lives. Um, yeah. <laughs> and your ability to have more and more information that services can develop around and provide you with information that guides you through that enti- entire patient journey. That's, you know, that's kind of what we want to be able to enable. Mm. Right. Yeah. And I think patients are always going to look for information and try to figure out their own things, right? They're doing that right now with Google. I I mean, you can't just like take that out of the equation because that's not human nature. Humans are going to be curious about this thing that's causing them a problem and they're going to do what they can do to figure that out. So building technology that enables them to do that in accurate and safe ways instead of who knows what ways that lead to who knows what misinformation, you know, I think think would be beneficial. Yeah. And I think that's one of the challenges is that uh, so a lot of medical information can be dangerous without context, right? And um, that's why you talk with your doctor about about uh, you know your health issues and and you know so I, I know you know there's been a lot of conversation lately in the past year or so about uh, you know having your medical tests and results available to your to available to you immediately, right? As soon as it's coming in, you're welcome. And is that that's you? Did you do that? <laughs> I'm. A, I know this is controversial, but I am a big fan of that. So thank you. Well, well <laughs> no, and, no, and, and I I think uh, it, it's it's interesting to hear different perspectives on it because you know there there are a lot of people I know, a lot of physicians who feel like this is a dangerous thing, and 
that um, uh, you know, without the right context, it can it can lead to a lot of anxiety, a lot of uh, other issues. Um, but maybe the technology can help provide some of that context. Right. You know, that right. That's what's that's, missing. That's, yeah, exactly. That's where I was I was going next. Is that I I think that the solution isn't to just not do it because right. that that's not right. It's patronizing right? too exactly. to think that people like, can't handle their own information. People should. There, it's their information. It's mm-hmm. their own body. It's the things happening inside their own body. And so they need to have that information, uh, but we have to just be able to also give that other context or be able to let them, not set them up to, to not understand what they're seeing, right? I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how to make that happen. Can you fix yeah. that? Yeah. Can you no, do that too? That to we're, working, we're working on some of these things. So, you know, so the, Come uh, on, Mickey, let's go. Come on. <laughs> What's taking so long? <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, you know, I think we're in this weird transition on that, which is, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to be able to sort of engineer all the, you know, the perfect solution before doing it. I mean, uh, you know, my experience is it's not until you actually do it that, people start to realize, oh, wait a minute, we need to have some more context around some of the stuff. Like, as you're pointing out, better education to patients and have that push to them. But until we said, you need to make the results available, that's when people start paying attention and saying, right. oh, okay, yeah, we need to be able to do that. And right now it's really kludgy. And, you know, my 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 daughter is a physician and she talks about situations in the hospital mm-hmm. where, you know, she's a pediatrician where they, you know, will literally race down to the um, waiting room to make sure that they're able to talk to the patient before uh, the patient's parents before something mm-hmm. shows up on the app that they you know want to make sure that the patients oh, wow, you know, yeah. the, you know, the parents yeah. have an understanding. So you know, right now it's all like manual, and we're trying to you know sort of um, uh, figure it out a little bit ad hoc. But the idea is that the technologies will rapidly develop to provide context, um, mm. as well as uh, provide capabilities that are more calibrated to individual patient preferences, because I think that there's a whole mm-hmm. spectrum that the current system yeah. just never really, you know, sort of addressed, which is, and what I mean by that is the current system was every hospital physician made kind of arbitrary decisions about, well, we're going to wait a week before giving you these results. We're going to wait a week and a half. And that meant that all the people who, you know, who actually really wanted the information right away were just left out. You had no choice. You couldn't right. get it. And what we're, you know, the reason to do it the other way is to say, you know what, we should make it available. But if there, you know, if if there are patients who say, I would rather you wait a week, then by all means, you know, our our regulations say that's totally fine. Now the technology hasn't totally caught up. You know, some vendors have developed that capability to allow you as a patient mm-hmm. to literally come into the portal, say, I would like to wait a week before any results, or I'd like to wait before, you know, wait for my provider to call me first. Um, and what we need is for, you know, for the supply side to kind of now meet that demand. Um, Mm -hmm. but otherwise I think it just wouldn't happen unless we, you know, sort of said, you know what, let's make the results available to, you know, to everyone. And then let's everyone adjust to that. And we also don't think about the the other side of it, you know, for every one of those anxiety ridden, uh, you know, sort of situations where, you know, someone got the result before they were able to talk to the provider. I mean, uh, you know, I've people on my staff, um, one, you know, one, our, our head of policy who wrote a blog about this. So I'm not sharing anything that she wouldn't feel comfortable sharing where she found out she got breast cancer on the portal. And she felt like that was actually a positive experience because she could collect her emotions. She could do a bunch of Google searching. She could talk to friends who were physicians. So that by the time she talked to her physician, she felt much more poised and better prepared to actually have you know the, the conversation she wanted to have. Um, right. yeah, so that's, a good, that's right? where good I fall on it, yeah. which is why I'm a fan of having access to that information. Is I you know I don't know I want to be able to do just that of you know get my head wrapped around it. Otherwise, you go into or at least I do go into the doctor's office. 
and they give you this information and then you're just kind of like in shock and you don't hear anything else that they say for the rest of the appointment. And, you know, I don't know. I and, think yeah. it's a good thing. I, I and, it's, totally it's, and it's hard. It's hard for for physicians to put ourselves in that mindset because we know too much about medicine. Like we, we are, we know all these things. So it's hard for us to think, okay, from even when, even when a physician has been a patient, mm -hmm. like it's hard, it's hard to think, okay, what, if I didn't have any medical background knowledge whatsoever, like what would I want here? And, um, because a lot of it's just being able to empathize with other people, but it's hard to do yeah. that. When you just, we already have the information. And you know, you remember, we remember how anxiety provoking those days are in between, you yeah. know, the waiting days of I notice something and I have to wait for my appointment to see whether it's anything harmful or I got this test, but I have to wait for days or a week to get the results. And those waiting days are just excruciating. Yeah. Right. Yep. What I do know is that nobody, sh I don't think people should have to wait just because uh, their doctor's an ophthalmologist who doesn't work on the weekends. <laughs> like, like, come on. Like, it's, it's, we'll we'll work on that as an here. exception to the rule. That's a, that's <laughs> yeah. a legitimate exception. <laughs> right. You know, another really interesting point that our, you know, and this is just, you know, a function of our medical system, which as we know, isn't as responsive to patients as we'd like it to be. Um, there's a patient advocate who we worked with who points out that, you know, for all the conversation about the trauma of a patient getting a result before they talk to the provider, you know, think about the financial side. Like our healthcare system has no problem delivering, you know, a 17,000 surprise bill to a patient. And mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, what kind of trauma does that count? You know, does that yeah. cause? Right. right. I, I would argue that in a lot of cases, that's a lot more trauma that that's imposing on individuals yeah. than, oh, yeah. <laughs> than their and test And what results. kind of trauma does it cause to not know when you want to know? Right. You know, that is like yeah. what I was just getting yep. at. Exactly. I mean, it's tricky. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, you don't have to tell me twice. Yeah. The, the insurance company is causing more trauma than anything on earth. So, <laughs> yeah. For the most part, might be a bit of an exaggeration, but anyway. Anyway, right, anyway. Well, let's let's take a little bit. Let's take a little break. Let we'll... you cool off for a second. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned health insurance. All right. Uh, yeah, let's take a little break, and we'll be right back with uh, Mickey Trapathy. Hey, Kristen, have I ever told you about Demodex? I'm afraid. The little eyelid mites. Oh gosh, no! Don't do that. Ugh. I'm just saying, if you've ever had red, itchy, irritated eyes, it could be Demodex blepharitis. You might have some little friends on your eyelids. They're not quite this big. Well, that's comforting. To find out more, though, you can go to eyelidcheck.com. That's E-Y-E-L-I-D-check.com to find out more information about Demodex blepharitis. Don't freak out. Get checked out. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology. It just sits there in the room with you, just helps you be more efficient, and it helps with uh, reducing clinical documentation burden. Yeah, and that can help you feel less overwhelmed and burnt out and just kind of restore the joy to practicing medicine. And we all want that. So stick around after the episode or visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X. All right, we are back with uh, Mickey, Dr. Mickey Tripathi. And we, uh, so I, I want to just uh, have you talk a little bit about your own background because uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, your experience, the, the awesome things that you're doing in IT, uh, most of which I probably don't 
understand, and I never will be able to understand them. But um, you have a, this isn't your first foray into the medical world. Uh, I understand your, your parents were both physicians. Is that right? Yep. And, uh, and you had a couple interesting jobs growing up <laughs> in the medical world. Yeah, I did. So I was a uh, an orderly, as we called them back then. Do they still use that term? You don't orderly? hear that word anymore. Do I, I don't yeah. even honestly. What exactly? I, I I think of an orderly as like in the movies where like you have someone pushing a bed around. Like yeah. that was like, like kind of an you orderly, take right? Orders. Like, hey, yeah. you, <laughs> person, orderly. I guess from a... I never even a made that connection. <laughs> literal standpoint. I am ordering, and you are the orderly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I'm maybe that's it. I'm the orderly. <laughs> exactly. That must be it. Well, I was Damn. definitely taking orders. I mean, that's All for right. sure. <laughs> so, so you were the one doing the grunt work. Yeah. yeah. I was kind of the equivalent of, like, the nurse's aide, right? You're one step up from the volunteer, like, nurse's aide. I don't even know if they use that term anymore. But um, it was sort of the male equivalent of a nurse's yeah. You know, I wore all white. Um, and, gotcha. uh, and so I worked summers as an orderly in the, in the community hospital, um, a job that I'm sure I never would have gotten without, you know, my father's having, you know, had lots of connections with the hospital. Um, but amazingly, we, you know, I was like 16 and 17 years old when I was doing this. Mm-hmm. They had us doing stuff that, you know, that I don't think they allow orderlies <laughs> to do today. Like I was doing uh, Foley catheters um, on oh, men. Wow. For, those, for those who don't know what a Foley catheter is, it's, you know, when you, well, I'll let the it's doctor a, explain yeah. it. Yeah. It's a, you, get a, you get a tube up your urethra up into the bladder. So, and right. it's, you know, that's, 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 that's the medical way of saying tube. it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you were doing that as a 17 year old you were so like a 17 year old i was doing okay. that i was doing you know the pre-surgical enemas you know waking someone up at four in the morning and saying you know good mm. morning oh, wow. <laughs> here's your enema Here for have your you enema. ever considered that your um whoever it was that was supervising you just really did not like you <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fun now that i think about it maybe maybe <laughs> um yeah so we were doing that so i was doing that and then i also was uh i was in charge of morgue duty well not in charge of but i did morgue duty that's what the orderlies would do is if someone oh, died man. we were responsible for going up to the patient's room um you know, um, uh, uh, wrapping them up, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously being as respectful, um, as, uh, as we could with the, uh, with, um, uh, the process, but, you know, wrapping them up and putting them on the gurney and bringing them down to the morgue. And, um, that was fine during the day, but, you know, one mm-hmm. summer I did the graveyard shift uh-huh. and it turns out there's only one orderly in the hospital in the graveyard shift. And we would hang around the ER all day, but then, uh-huh. you know, a call would come for, morgue duty and that would mean that i would have to go and um and deal with that um and uh, that wasn't fun because it maybe you can tell me why are all morgues in the basement like <laughs> yeah why uh, do they have a really to scary traumatizing experience for possible me. yeah because yeah, probably i'm sure it's dark down there and and this <laughs> yeah and there's no windows no windows by, and pipes clanking and uh, yeah easier to surrounded keep it by cool. cadavers and Right. That's probably it. It's probably probably because it's below ground, and so you, you get to save a little bit on refrigeration. Yeah, I guess I I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that, did those experiences? Um, they didn't make you want to run, be hide, a run, doctor? Not hide, was, you know, <laughs> be a physician. <laughs> yeah. So we had this whole thing where you know, of course, that you know, the it turns out that a lot of the morgue 
duty calls were in the cancer wing, which was a different building from where the mm. ER was. And so when you get the morgue call and I was in the ER, I'd have to go down to the basement, go through the tunnels, which were, as you can imagine, from a, you know, 1920s yeah. era community hospital, oh, you know, my. dim incandescent lights yeah. placed, you know, at about... <laughs> You know, one third of the frequency that you would expect, and clanking pipes because it's all steam going through. Yeah, and so you have to go into the morgue. You have to get the gurney. So it's like going in and like getting the gurney, and then racing over to the you know to that cancer wing, and then you have to bring it back. And they always told us, you know, go in and you walk it all the way in, and there'll be other gurneys with bodies there, and you put it in order, you know, next to that. And there were like two doors you had to go in. So you open the first door, and then of course. It was like a vestibule. And then in order to get to the second door, you have to go all the way in. And that means the first door is closing behind you, right? So, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'd go <laughs> in with you know, you, just hearing <laughs> this. Go to the body. Claustrophobia. Like open the first door. And this is, a, you know, it's, it's the middle of the night. So there's no one there. Like you're the only one there. You know, open the door, kind of go in. And I am, you know, I am very embarrassed to admit it, but I will admit it here on this public show <laughs> that I would open the second door and I would hear that first door click and my heart would start creeping up through my throat and I would just gently wish the patient well and <laughs> push the gurney in and turn around and race just out that door sprinting out. as fast as my 17-year-old legs could take me. <laughs> Um, it was, it was a pretty scary experience. I, I, am, uh, to this oh day, man. I mean, I didn't see it, but every single time I just had this vision in my mind of one of them, like sitting up Yeah. <laughs> as oh. I was going and I did not want to see that if that was going to happen. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Pa- pathology was not in your future. No, no. <laughs> definitely <That's>... not. <laughs> or being a mortician. Yeah. That wouldn't have worked yeah. either. Yeah. <laughs> And I imagine you weren't, uh, uh, you know, doing any documentation in an electronic health record at that point. No, they, the, the no. orderlies didn't do any documentation of anything. I mean, I, I assume someone There's documented. There's no record of you even be there. Patient, so no, patient had a Foley catheter put in, but no one ever asked me to document anything. So. <laughs> and how are your Foley uh, inserting skills Ooh, these days? I, do you, you think know, you I'm, can... I'm out of practice, let's just say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thankfully so thankfully so yeah yeah did you because because i know your father was a was a was a surgeon general surgeon is that right he was you know back back then um i i I don't think people do this now but he was both a family doc and a general Mm -hmm. surgeon so he was like the old marcus welby type doc so he was you know he had a solo practice his whole career Mm -hmm. and he would you know see all generations of the family but then when you needed your appendix take out taken out you know he would refer you to the hospital. He would go into the hospital. He'd do the surgery. He would do rounds every day. He would do house calls. I mean, he did, you know, kind of the whole thing. That's the classic, like, yeah. Yeah. House call. Everythingologist. You just kind of took care of. Yeah. I think. I I feel like it's got, it's, it's, I'm sure it was difficult as well, but I feel like it's got some pros that we're missing these days, Uh, you know, of like one person who knows a lot of things about each patient. Uh, and this gets back, I guess, to to what we were saying before about trying to make the technology catch up to that to be able to kind of pull together all the information over a lifetime. I don't know. I like that aspect of it anyway. Yeah. But not the aspect where those docs were like working like 120 hours nope. a week. Mm-mm. Nope. That was no good. Right. I mean, he was on call. I, by, like you know, like growing right? up, I remember him. I remember many times, you know, watching Red Sox games, watching Bruins games. 9 p.m. Gotta go. Uh-oh, there's dad's call. And, you know, yeah. he'd get up and be like, 
I'm off to the hospital. We'll see you. Right. <laughs> it yeah. was a it was a different model, but um, but there was a wow. lot of there was a lot of high touch. Yeah, know, there was a lot exactly. of exactly. That's stuff. a good way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. What he didn't know, though, and uh, you know, I'd asked him once I started getting into electronic medical records, and he was surprised too that I was involved in electronic medical yeah. records. He's <laughs> like, so what? You know, what's the point of these things? You know, I deliver high quality, and I was like, I, you know, that I know you do, um, but you know, so just for example, you know, you see what you have two thousand patients, roughly, probably, mm-hmm. right? And how many of yeah. those are diabetics, and how many of those? would you say are well-controlled? And oh, it's like, well, yeah. statistically, I like how I have no idea, you know? And, and that was the point, right? For every individual, like right. you could name every individual one and what he's doing with each one, but like as an office and as a practice, he didn't really have yeah. a good population health view because he didn't have the tools to do that. And, you know, right. I think that's a part of the point. That's yeah. a good, that's a really good We need good to find point. a way to get both, you know, to get right. that high touch personal experience and also to have the kind of bird's eye view that the data can provide. Yeah, but the chatbots are going to give you the personal experience uh, that's, that you're that's seeking. That's the thing, right? That's, that, that's uh, AI is going to get us there. <laughs> it just, well, you know, a, a future where you, you're, you walk into a room and, and you just start talking and then it's just, it all gets captured and it's there. And, uh, and or you then, don't even have to walk into the room. You can just do it through your phone there you, from your home. There you go. Practice medicine from your home. That's right. Yeah, well, not everybody. Start doing yeah, surgery. There's some things surgery you might want to actually situation. be seen in person. But. <laughs> Every now and then. Like ophthalmology. That didn't work very well oh, remotely man. during I, the pandemic. Mickey, I... Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. I, I can't... Have ni- why? Can't I still you just nightmares. Like, look yeah. in my eye? Isn't that enough? Yeah. <laughs> I still have nightmares of trying trying to do, like, on the fly at the height of the pandemic when everything was shut down, trying to do uh, a tele tele-ophthalmology mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it works better for certain specialties than also others. these patients are patients who have difficulty seeing they have difficulty seeing and, <laughs> that's, and that's a very good by point. definition yes and so <laughs> giving them instructions on how to you know go to a website and right. operate put yeah. a put a little password code yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. it, it, it had its, it's challenges. Challenging. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I have, so, so Mickey, sometimes what we'll do is I'll have like a, a just like an elaborate game or something to play. But uh, honestly, I just have one question for you. One question that I think is probably on the minds of all of the medical professionals who are listening to this episode right now. Is there anything that will actually kill the fax machine? <laughs> <laughs> Or are, is this just uh, an immortal being? It's the cockroach of the technology world. Are, is this, are we like 200 years from now? Are we, will we still be using, we'll still be uh, faxing. can we Come just on. like spend a few minutes here talking about <laughs> the fax machine and how it's still a thing right now? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think the Tell analogy to the cockroach the is probably a really good one. <laughs> um, there is certain beauty in the fax machine. It's very, very flexible, right? You can scribble anything and just send it. It doesn't care about standards or anything like that, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, um, that is an ongoing source of frustration. Um, there have been, yeah. you know, sort of, you know, uh, I think one of my predecessors had a kill the facts or axe the facts, axe the facts. I think it was like CMS had, you know, sort of a thing on axe the facts. And we've been you know, talking right. about that for years when I was working in Indianapolis um, and we launched this health information exchange network across the city. So just to deliver lab results to all the docs, um, 
via like a, you know, a portal. And one of the things we ended up having to do was, you know, I ended up, you know, going to all the different hospital CEOs and saying, you know, the only way for this to work is for you to literally tell all the docs, you're not going to fax them their lab results anymore. Like you just have to shut it off. And we had to have all of them agree because there were so many docs who wanted, who still wanted to get the, the faxes, right? And it's like, well, you're never going to move them off of that unless all of you agree because you're all competing with each other as well. It's right. like, well, we have to get everyone to agree to shut off the faxes. And that's the only way that we can move forward. But obviously it's, you know, it's a big country. It's really hard to like yeah. turn you, off yeah. all the faxes. I think, um, you know, funny, my, my daughter is, uh, she's a third year resident mm-hmm. and she, you know, she's been in multiple systems with like Epic and Cerner and I was asking her how that's going. And she's like, those are fine. She's like, they're not, yeah. you know, it's like, it's all the older docs who have a problem. You know, she's like right. Epic, Cerner, I don't care. You know, you know, the training is fine. The systems work fine. The thing that she couldn't figure out was one day they told her, fax this to a community doc. Yeah. And she was like, literally like, what, what exactly yeah. do you mean by that? It's <laughs> like, oh, take this paper and shove it into that machine. It's like, you got to be kidding me. What? Someone well, needs to show me how to use that thing. <laughs> well, the explanations that I've been given about why the fax is still around is because it's 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 uh, safe. People say it's, it's HIPAA compliant. Which right? I take issue with. Because you have something that's just printing to some unrandom yeah. place. And How is that any who's safer? monitoring it? Right. Who's going to see it? It's actually, right. yeah, in many, many ways, it's not safer. I mean, you think about it. You don't know what's happening on the other end. Right? Exactly. All of us have been in, I mean, most places are pretty good, but all of us have been in places where the facts are just left on the machine. Right. Or yeah. right, lots of stories of people of literally, you know, like, like there was a story a few years ago of, of a bank talking mm-hmm. about how they were getting patient records. Oh, and no. They, and they kept oh, calling the hospital hear... saying, oh, my stop God. faxing these to us. Yeah. And it took them like a while to get the, ba- yeah. the hospital to stop faxing patient records to them. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, was, that was obviously a hip-hop right. reach eventually. But yeah, I yeah. mean, there are all sorts of, and, and there's no traceability, right? Right. You know? right. So, so you can't go back and do a, you know, a good audit log. And there are lots of reasons that, you know, to be able to argue that but, you know, faxes are not as secure as electronic information. Right. I, think it's, I think it's like cultural change. Yeah. They're too easy still. And, you know, yeah. and, and I think that the job is on all of us to make everything, make the alternative easy enough that people will naturally gravitate to it. I mean, my mom right. was, she just, she had um, her, uh, uh, she broke her hip last summer. And we had to bring her from one hospital to the rehab hospital. And they're both on really good EHR systems. I won't name the brands. Mm-hmm. And I know they're connected in the back end. Remember that 50 million transactions a day I was right. telling you mm-hmm. about? Well, those two hospitals are definitely connected on the back end. And yet, when we're about to transfer her, they printed out her record and hand it to me. And they're like, bring it to the other place and they will upload it. And I'm looking at them like, you guys are doing this right in front of me, like without shame. Because <laughs> you know, I have no time. Right I'm dealing with my mother. But yeah. I think that's part of the problem is that yeah. the systems are actually getting connected on the back end. But the, but the frontline users mm-hmm. are kind of victims in this, right? The frontline right. doc. The frontline registration person, they're not, you know, that no one is coming to them and training them and saying, right. you know what, we have all these systems that are here to make your life easier. Because when I was describing to them, you realize your systems are connected electronically and they're like, that would be awesome. When is that coming? It's like, oh, no. It's here. No one just, no one has told you this deep, dark secret that lives right. in the basement of the hospital. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, and you already. all still use pagers too, like 1980s beepers. Well, we, you know, we, we got to like, have some way to, to be able to, have work find us at any moment 
cell phones. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> but again, like you, you gotta, you know, safety and what I don't, right. I don't know. That, like right, that, right, right. I feel like the HIPAA. I don't that know. I think that gets used as an excuse more than an actual to change, reason. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I told. Right. I think it's someone a solvable problem. Some, someone something told to me. That. It's my daughter who I trust. <laughs> you know, she's like, there are parts of the hospital that there is no cell phone coverage. Like you're right. way down yeah. in the bowels of the hospital, down in the surgical in the center morgue. or something. The pager will still yeah. Yeah. And the pager, And the pager works. So things I'll it's take like, that at face value. I'm not going to question her. It's like the facts. Yeah. Pagers and like facts. The, yes. <laughs> I like the facts. So the cockroaches are Twinkies. Pagers and faxes 30 <laughs> Twinkies, years from now. Yeah. <laughs> McDonald's french fries and, under oh, the and, seat. And, I mean, there's some places that also, like when you, uh, you know, radio, radiologic imaging as well is another thing, right? Like there are some places where they'll still like they'll they'll ask for the disc, the, the yes. physical oh, wow. the physical That's... disc of your images. Yeah. And then you take it to a, an office and they they don't have a they don't even player. have a way to, <laughs> to to put it into any of their machines because totally. like you know, it's, yep. so that's right. another um, I mean I don't have anachronistic just looking around things. here, I don't if someone gave me a CD, I don't really <laughs> what know what do I would do. With yeah. That. It's like <laughs> I know. I don't, really, I don't really know what I do with it. I someone showed me the other day. They got a CD, and so they like they wanted it sent electronically, right? And they were frustrated. And then the provider, you know, finally it's like, all right, fine, give me the darn CD. I'll figure out what to do with it. They got a CD, and on it it said for provider use only. <laughs> oh my gosh! It's like, yeah. come on, <laughs> this is patient empowerment in the right. <laughs> in the twenty first century. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so yeah. so what I'm hearing though is that we we have all the technology everything we need to get rid of these archaic systems it's more just about making sure that information gets permeates through the entire healthcare system you need some change management help yeah there's change management there's you know and and while we try to be judicious about regulation there are just some things like back to my indiana example which was you know one city and a lot of work convincing mm-hmm. all the ceos to do this one thing you know there are certain times when regulation at some point just says, you know what, we need to give everyone a little bit of a kick in the pants and just say right. you need to move to the next Rip level. Rip the bandaid so, off. Right. So our draft, our regulations, we have a set of regulations that are called information blocking regulations. And it comes mm-hmm. from the 21st Century Cures Act of 2016, which basically said that patients should have electronic access to all of their information. And basically telling the healthcare industry, we need to you know, sort of enter the internet age finally as it relates to exchange information, particularly with patients, but with others as well, provider to provider and, you know, and all of that. So we should start to see more of a change as that right. really starts to kick in here, that, you know, the hospitals and other settings, you know, start to realize, all right, we have to make everything electronic that we can in order to, you know, to meet the requirements of this rule. It doesn't happen overnight because, you know, these systems are really complex and some of them are really old. Um, mm-hmm. But hopefully I think that's directionally is, is uh, you know, really starting to take place now. Well, that, that was the same set of regulations that did the immediate lab results thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see um, other disciplines coming in and, and being useful in this? Because as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, what I would do as a patient, if I have all of my electronic records, you know, if I had the technical know-how, I just feed that into AI myself and see what it says, right? Like that's just, people are curious about their yep. health. So that's what they're going to do. That's what we want. That's, that's, yeah. that, I mean, that's the ecosystem that we want, that we want to create, which is giving providers and patients the opportunity to say, you know what, I can 
the, 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 the friction of data sharing is no longer the problem. I can get the data that I need, and now a whole innovation economy can develop on top of that to allow you as a patient, for example, to do just what you're talking about and have services that are customized to your need. You, know, you can imagine a whole bunch of niche services developing yeah. of, oh, you have Crohn's disease or, oh, you have you know, diabetes and you know, here's all the information that you have and we can provide mm. the service to you and give you reminders and texts and all of that. I think the one challenge we haven't talked about, which is it's a real issue in this country, is that we don't have strong privacy protections mm-hmm. on that data once it leaves the right. confines of HIPAA. And, right. you know, and HIPAA has been called, and I agree with this, you know, the most important and most misunderstood law in the world. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's both <laughs> important and, and misunderstood. Yeah. And then people, you know, yeah. we saw during the, during the vaccine, vaccine politics of people, right. you know, sort of saying that's a HIPAA violation. Yeah. And all right. those times they said it, it was absolutely not a HIPAA violation. And then there are lots of places where it was a HIPAA violation and people didn't even know it was a HIPAA violation. Right. Um, but the challenge is with HIPAA is that um, the minute that you download a record onto your device as a patient, Assuming it's not like in an app that's provided to you by your provider, like my chart app from Epic or one of those, Mm -hmm. if you just download it onto your device, is the vast majority of people, I think, don't realize that you have taken full responsibility now for the security and privacy protections on that. And all of us know what we do with apps, right? I mean, I do it too, right? You download an app and... Right, the user agreements that have 15 yeah. pages of yeah. you know right. fine print, you're just like click, 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 yeah. click, 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 just get <laughs> me to the app. And literally, right. if that app says, we're going to take all your data and do whatever the hell we want with it, and we're going to sell it to the highest bidder, okay? And you just click through it, there's actually nothing in the US that's illegal about that. Right. And that's oh, a, wow. you know, that, I think that's a big thing that we need to figure out as a society, is how to give patients the protections that they need to be able to use that data in ways that, you know, that they expect and that they're not surprised by. And, right. you know, and, and obviously with some types of healthcare data, you know, one spill could actually have a, you know, a real impact on your life if it leads to discrimination downstream and employment and, you know, all sorts of other things that could happen through, with the wrong information being shared. Well, so now, now I'm that's get, a big concern. Now I'm getting scared. <laughs> <laughs> you just, just remember, just, just remember there is a lot of potential value, but you are responsible. Yeah, Once it's right. on your phone, there you go. You are Personal responsible. responsibility. Well, let's take a, let's take another break here and we'll be right back. All right. We are back with, uh, with, with Dr. Mickey Tripathi and, we're going to take a look at uh, one of our uh, listeners' uh, medical stories. So we have a story that was sent in by Michael. And uh, let's see, where does it start here? Okay. My partner and I were finishing up paperwork on a call uh, and were parked just outside a convenience store. Uh, they were, par- oh, I work as, I miss, I, I, I miss, I'm struggling here. I work as a paramedic and we get some wild stories, he says. Okay. So his partner and he, they were finishing up paperwork on a call and were parked just outside a convenience store. They decided to get some ice cream um, uh, because it was a nice, beautiful summer day. We made a whole two steps into the store when we got a call to the mall for a worker who had amputated their finger in an industrial machine. It's probably a a fax machine, I would guess. Our patient was well and in good spirits. The security guards, being diligent, first aiders, managed to track down the severed finger and apologetically explained they did not have any ice and instead used popsicles to keep the finger cold. Once we arrived at the hospital, we transferred the patient along with their finger to the nursing staff. Not to be denied in our request for ice cream a second time, oh, no. we released I'm the afraid. brightly colored rockets from their protective plastic 
container and enjoyed them thoroughly. Oh my goodness. Hey, that's resourceful. It, you deliver yeah, the finger true. and then the popsicles that were keeping... It's a sustainable option. Exactly. The popsicles that were keeping the finger <laughs> cold. Waste not, want not. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm at least you. they is were it, is in there a plastic. health ID point to the story? <laughs> I don't think so. Nope, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Just a severed finger story. So oh, just making you uh, making you feel glad that you ended up in IT and not uh, right. you know, yeah, take exactly. care of severed yeah. fingers. Yeah. Yes. Well, anyway, was, thank you, know, you for that, Michael. I was Michael. supposed to be a doctor, but it didn't work healthcare out. Adjacent. Didn't work out. Yeah. Your, healthcare adjacent. Healthcare adjacent, right. Exactly. Were your parents, are they, were they pushing you? Were they like, hey, don't you want to well, go to med school? Both of them are parents and both of them are immigrants from India, so... Yeah, it was. You're going to be a doctor, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> what kind of doctor are you going to be? <laughs> um, they didn't specify, so you went. You a different did route. become a doctor, right, in a fact. Right, right, yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, to their, you know, to their credit, I think my dad in particular, um, when I started sort of showing misgivings, he was like, you know, you, if you don't want, if you yourself don't want it, it's you know, it won't work anyway. It's too hard. Yeah. It's too right. humbling. You, you know, you got to have the passion. So. It was very good life advice. Was, well, I think you was... ended up right where you're supposed to be. So Yes. <laughs> I like to also, so. isn't it rich that you have a PhD and feel like a failure, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right, I think exactly. you did fine for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. I'll let them know. <laughs> well, Mickey, we thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Um, what, do you have anything that you like our listeners to know about? Anything you're working on? Anything, any final parting uh, words? Well, what are we working on? You know, everything we're doing is, and I know it's all, you know, sort of steeped in the language of regulations and rules and all of that. Um, I like to think of it as, you know, as as the beginning of being able to really use technology in healthcare and information technology in particular. You know, we've mm-hmm. laid, we've spent 10 years, as we were talking about, laying this digital foundation and now we can all start saying, well, what is it we want to be able to do with all of this? Now that everything's right. digital or, you know, we still got some paper. I know you've got some paper. We're going to go find, you know, root that out and burn it. But, um, <laughs> but you know, but, but now that you've got this digital foundation, you can start to say, you know what, this is all bits and bytes now. And how do mm-hmm. we like try to redrop them, redraw the map of the way we think about healthcare um, to really take advantage of, you know, of this electronic data. That's why I'm really excited about having, you know, being in this position right now, because I feel like all that hard work is now yeah. behind us. And we can think about all the really cool things we want to do um, for exciting. patients, for medical science, um, for providers, all of that. So I think, you know, just, you know, um, uh, I think for any individuals who are listening, like whether you're a patient or a provider, start banging the doors with your expectations of, hey, wait a minute, this isn't the way it's supposed to work in mm-hmm. internet economy. I'm supposed to get my results every day. I'm supposed to have electronic access. I, you know, the CD doesn't work for me. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you know, start right. having those expectations that you would have of the hardware store. We should have that of the healthcare delivery system as well. I completely agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been this has been so fun, and thank Absolutely. you to thank you to both of you for all that you do. Um, oh yeah, oh, that okay. you bring a lot of insight and a lot of fun to you know to all of this and i really appreciate it and we'll bring some Thank things you. too yeah yeah I, I i'm a little bit i'm a little part of that yeah that's right <laughs> all right mickey take care thank you thanks well kristen did you learn a lot about it i learned a lot about fax machines yes. yeah mm-hmm. yeah i I've, I've been dying to ask him that question yeah. i was I was like, I was holding that in until the very end. If even he can't fix that issue. Well, it's it, the thing is, it's fixed. We just got to make people not use them. Yeah. It's like it's so like we're all addicted that. to our fax machines. Uh, like we can't just stop using them. You guys got to have a fax. It's been it's like a week since I've had a fax. I got to get a fax. <laughs> fax withdrawal. Got to get a fax. Okay. Anyway, 
Thanks for listening. <laughs> what are we even talking about? I don't even know. Uh, let us know uh, what you thought of the episode. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us, knockknockhigh at human-content.com. Visit us on all the social media networks, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, uh, TikTok YouTube, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, all, all of the them. things. Uh, you can also hang out with us and our Human Content Podcast family on Instagram and TikTok at Human Content Pods. Uh, thank you to all the wonderful listeners leaving feedback and reviews. If you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, we can give you a shout out like Gothic Potato 2. I like that one. Ooh. Gothic Potato 2 from YouTube wrote, keep up the great work because it was entertaining and super informative. Thank you, Gothic Potato. You. Keep sending us uh, all, all your medical stories. We really love it. It's like one of our favorite parts is hearing like all the interesting stories. So many through. stories out there. Medicine is crazy. Uh, it is a lot, a lot going on there. Uh, and we also, uh, full episodes of this podcast are up on YouTube at D Glock and Flecken every week. Uh, we have a Patreon, lots of fun perks, uh, bonus episodes where we react to medical shows and movies, hang out with other members of the Knock Knock High community like us. We're there too. Uh, early ad-free episode access, interactive Q&A live stream events, and a lot more. Patreon.com slash Glockenflecken or go to Glockenflecken.com. Speaking of Patreon community perks, new member shout out to Patrick S. Patrick S. Thank you for being a patron. And shout out Patrick to... Patrick the patron. Pa that's right. Shout patron out Patrick. As always, shout out to the Jonathans out there. Virtual head nod to you all. Uh, we have Edward K, Jonathan A, Jonathan F, Caitlin C, K, L, Leah, Lucia C, Marion W, Mark, Mary H, Mr. Granddaddy, Omar, Patrick, Rossbox, Sharon S, Stephen G, Abby H, Briannis, Lee C, Chaver W, and Dr. J. You guys, they're making it, they're making it hard on me. Yeah, uh, you're having some yeah. trouble reading today. It's hot in this room. It's Our really, air conditioner's not working. So yeah. I'm getting a little uh, loopy here. Yeah. Uh, Patreon roulette. So shout out to one of our um, members of the uh, emergency, emergency medicine, medicine tier. tier of Patreon. Uh, so we'll do our little uh, drum roll. <laughs> Eleanor F. Thank you for being a patron. Thanks, Eleanor. And thank you all for listening. We're your hosts, Will and Kristen Flannery, also known as the Glockham Fleckens. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Mickey Tripathi. Our executive producers are Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Corney, Rob Goldman, and Shanti Brooke. Our editor and engineer, Jason Portiza. Our music is by Omer Binsfi. You want to say this part? To learn about our Knock Knock Highs program, disclaimer, and ethics policy, submission verification, and licensing terms, and HIPAA release terms, you can go to GlockhamFlecken.com or reach out to us at knockknockhide.com with any questions, concerns, or as most especially fun medical puns. Knock Knock High is a human content production. Nice job. Goodbye. Hey, Kristen, do you know why I got into medicine in the first place? To spend your evenings on documentation, of course. Uh, no. Actually, that never even crossed my mind. Mm, weird. I got into medicine to actually take care of patients, to mm. to be able to form relationships with them that and, is a and care reason. for them, to listen to them, to actually look at their eyeballs while I'm treating their eyeballs. Well, I would hope that you look at where you're treating. It's an important part of being an ophthalmologist. And it's easier than ever with the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology. It's just in the room with you, and it helps you be more efficient and reduce clinical documentation burden. Uh, it basically lets you get back to being a physician and practicing the way you want to practice. So it's like having a Jonathan. 
It really is. To learn more about the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX, visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X.